0: Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1, or 53, however you want to look at it, of Music on the Run. We are entering our third season here, and we cannot thank you enough for sticking by us. You're going to notice a couple of changes now coming up. We're going to do episodes once a month, but they're going to be fantastic. Coming up on this episode, The Mighty Soulmates. That's next on Music on the Run. It's cold here. Before we get started here, do me a favor, wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, and few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here and welcome to episode 53 of Music on the Run. We are in season 3. A big thank you to everybody who has been watching and listening for the last two years. Man, we've learned a lot. We sure appreciate your support. Thank you to our patrons who have been unbelievably generous to be able to help us put this podcast on. We sure appreciate you. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And you can find out how to put a little skin in the game and to help us keep this going. You may have noticed that we weren't on uh, two weeks ago. We have switched to doing podcast once a month. And I think it's just going to be a little easier on the old Buck St. Paul here. Um, so that's why we're going to make that change. But I think the podcasts are to be really incredible. Uh, we have some great guests lined up. And episode 53 is no different. So let's jump right in. These guys have had incredible careers in their own right. But came together one magical summer in 1993 or 94. I gotta double check that date. Recorded an entire record that summer, and it sat on the shelf for 28 or nine years. Mick Murphy, you'll know from uh, Mick Murphy, you'll know from his career as a producer and songwriter and singer in the group The System. Gardner Cole is a singer, songwriter, producer, and solo artist who has worked with Madonna for just one name. Andre Simone is a fellow Minnesotan and Prince alum, but he grew up with Prince. And then when he left that band, he had an incredibly successful solo career and produced so many people, including Jody, Jody Watley and Adam Ant, to name a couple. Little known fact is I'm actually in this band as well. Please welcome the Mighty Soulmates. Fellas, how you doing? Thanks for joining me.
1: Great. What's up?
0: So, do you realize? That, is this the first time that we've actually been in the same conversation? I mean, together since we did the record. Yeah, yeah. Mick, Mick, go ahead. You tell us. <laughs> Nineteen
1: ninety-three, right? Was the last time we were all together. 93, 94, right? Yeah, and I
0: think so. And and Gardner, you since you were the uh, you were the instigator about this, tell us a little bit about how you got everybody. Together.
2: Well, I knew you all individually. And I had just got out of a deal at Warner Brothers. And I was like, man, I don't want to do the solo thing ever again. (laughs) So it's like I had the most fun being in a band. That's what made me want to do music in the first place. Yeah. I started thinking like, who would be a fucking killer band? Like who who do I know in my world that would make a great band? And I thought of you guys. So I called you all individually. Everybody was like, yeah, I might be into that, and then you know it's kind of like once Mick was all the way in, then you Saint Paul came all the way in, and then Dre was kind of the last to come in, because he was busy doing stuff I think with Jody, uh-huh. and uh, and then I just remember the very first time we got in the studio, I was like, oh man, this this is gonna work. It was just magic.
0: It was the compound. Describe where where the studio was and what the the surroundings were, uh, GC. Well, at the time, I had a house up in uh, Woodland Hills, way
2: up at the top of this hill, and uh, I had a garage that I converted into a home studio. And this is back when people really didn't have a lot of home studios back then. And um, and you know, we're talking a home studio, but you know, it had like a fifty-six input console and. <laughs> You know, two 24 inch tape machines. I mean, it was like a commercial studio. It just happened to be in a garage. Right. So we were making stuff that sounded like we were at Sunset Sound. We were just happening to be in my garage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Andre, what do you remember about uh, getting that phone call from from Gardner? Well, I mean, me and Gardner were already tight.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, you know, we were already hanging out and kind of doing stuff and working on different things and stuff like that. So, you know, when he brought it up, I just, you know, I mean, I thought it was a great idea. I had I had a relationship with Mick. So we we kind of went back. And so, you know, and obviously Gardner and I have been, you know, working on stuff just all throughout. You know, so, you know, I just it sounded like a great idea. And uh, but but. But Gardner's right. I was, I was, my life was crazy right then because I was doing Jody's record. I was supposed to be doing a solo album Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and on delivering. It just was a crazy time. But like Gardner, I always wanted to be in a group. I mean, you know, solo, I can do solo stuff and it's fun, it's great, it's fantastic. But being in a group is, there's something about that that, you know, Where, you know, the onus isn't all on you and it's like, you know, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to feel like you can have fun, you know, is amazing. And plus, the chemistry that we had when we were working on this was
0: just just bananas. So it was crazy. Mm. How did you know that that was going to it was going to work, Gardner? How did you know the person? Because there's there's a few different personalities, not like a big difference, but there's some big personalities. How did you think that? How did you know it was going to work? I mean, look, ever since, I mean,
2: when, when I heard, you know, your, the family record, I was a huge fan of yours right away. I was like, damn, this is the most soulful white voice singer <laughs> I've heard in my life, right? I mean, you know, your version of nothing compares, you know, Sinead's cool, but I, I'd take yours over that for sure, right? Because you sang it with soul, and I love the system. I mean, mixed voice is just epic. And Dre and I had been doing a lot of stuff together. I knew Dre was just a badass. I mean, you know, there's nothing he can't play. You can sit at the kit and smoke the drums. You can get on the bass, blow your mic, get on the guitar. It doesn't matter. On the keys. And I just said, all of us are kind of multi-instrumentalist guys. We all kind of do different things. And I thought, let's just see what happens if we all get in there and just kind of I maybe mean, I play keys on something. Maybe Dre plays keys on something. Maybe Paul plays bass. Maybe Dre plays bass. I knew between all of us, we'd have a freaking blast because we all play a lot of instruments and I knew we could all write
0: Mick was there ever a, a time in the studio where you, there was any um, tension or anything o- over songwriting or over playing or anything like that on the record
1: you know what it, it came so easy um, it was like the most egoless situation ever I mean sometimes I look back I can't remember writing the songs like I can't remember how they I went know. from little kernels of ideas into becoming these mixed songs. And, and it's funny. Um, we all have worked together, you know, for quite some time in various avenues. Like, oh, I remember you first coming to New York to work on that Jeff Lorber record. That was like oh. the first time I'd ever met you. And I was uh, so, Gardner, I think I was so
0: like, green back in those days, man. Oh, my God. I'll never forget that. You uh, uh, were so it good, mean, good to uh, me, bro.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think Gardner and I, we met because you were working on Tony Lamont's record. Yeah. And I think I was writing on it also. And we at this point, you invited me up to the studio. We hung out a few times. It was It was really like a cool thing. And Andre, you may not remember this, but I met you the first time on the Prince Rick James tour, <laughs> I was working, I was working for the group clear. And I remember we did like maybe 10 dates or something like that. But you know, your situation with, with Prince was so, band was so tight and talk to anybody. But you, one day coming up the stage, you're like, what's happening man, you give me some dap. And I was like, yeah, that's that's the cat right there. That's a good cat right there. And, I,
3: mean, uh, I didn't talk to very many people then anyway, but I remember seeing you and I, I was like, this brother reminds me of people that I know, you know, it's like, you reminded me so much of like people from my family. And so when you came up, you had this, this, this energy. That was like, you know, you and George Clinton, George Clinton was another one. <laughs> it's like, I said, <laughs> I, mean, I, I went up and gave him a big hug. Like, <laughs> <it was> like, <laughs> I wanted to say, you know, anyway, it was just uh,
0: yeah. So no, egos oh, goes yeah. at all. I, I mean, I remember being in the studio with you guys and I, y- y'all were, way more experienced than what i was doing i was i remember coming off of doing i think two solo records that weren't necessarily you know smash hits let's just say shall we and uh i was beaten up man by the industry bruised and it's you're you're right gc it's 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 hard being a solo artist and andre it, it, it ain't it it's a lot of work which i'm not afraid of but you got to do everything yourself. So coming into that situation and being asked by you, Gardner, to to join this band couldn't have been more perfect timing because I was just lost and I came in with you fellas and Andre. You and I, we may have grown up in Minneapolis, but we grew up. In, we didn't hang out. We didn't know each other because you had already gone before I'd ever entered into the Prince camp. So I was always a fan of yours. And of course, Mick, you you mentioned the New York story of you taking good care of me on the Jeff Lorberd record. And then Gardner calling me, pulling me into this. I'm like, what is going on here? So thank God I listened to uh, the universe and just went, why don't you just go check this out? And mm-hmm. man, it I don't know how it worked, but it worked really well. Gardner, what did you, do you remember the summer in, 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 trying to get us all into the same place because I was living in Minneapolis at the time and we would come and go. I remember doing that quite a bit. And Mick, weren't you on the East Coast as well?
1: I actually, you know, it's funny because I think we're all at sort of a crossroads in our life. Like our system deal had ended. I was breaking up with my wife and it seemed like we were all kind of at a crossroads and this was like a healing summer camp. And Gardner was the head healer, because Boy. I remember he put us on vitamins. We were eating vegetarian <laughs> right. food. It was, just like, it was really like a summer camp with a counselor, and we were making music. <laughs> a spiritual counselor.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, He had animals running around. Uh,
3: didn't you have such, what was that you had, like, a I don't know if it was a porcupine or something like uh,
2: an otter or something. Yeah, I had, I had a copy bearer. That's what? <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah. an emu. I had a giant emu. <laughs> like, <laughs> Only yeah.
0: you, man.
3: Yeah. it was fun. <laughs> Definitely a great escape to get away from all the craziness I was going through, and I needed that then. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's true. Sometimes you just you just need an escape, and I think uh, I'd have to say the same for me. I needed it pretty bad because there was so much stuff going on in my life. I, I can't even, you know. <laughs> You just you would not believe, but it was it was just you know much needed, and uh, mm-hmm. I've always thanked Gardner for that. It's it's uh, and Meg because I mean, you know really, you know one of the things you know and this is be a question for Gardner, because I think at some point, I remember Gardner saying, "Listen, Andre, what do you think about Jada Pinkett being in the band?" <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I
2: didn't even know she had anything to do with music, but Gardner knew more than I did. And so yeah. And and well, uh, well, you know why? She did a record in that garage studio with Eazy E. I used uh, to no. know. She did a rap go. record, and he produced it. So I knew she could rap her ass off. And a lot of a lot of people never probably heard that stuff, but it was actually really good, really good. There you go. No. I yeah.
0: had no idea.
2: He also was talking about bringing
0: me in. <laughs> I was like. Yeah, bring her to the studio. Go ahead. (laughs) What happened to that, Gardner? Yeah. Bringing in who? Sheila E. We are
3: talking
2: about bringing Sheila E in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was interested at one point. You know, I think a lot of us knew each other through Warner Brothers at that time. And she was kind of in a transition, too. And um, there was a guy named Jess. um, God, Sutcliffe. Great engineer. Oh, wow, yeah. And Jess did a lot of records with her. And he was the one that actually said, because, you know, at the time, I think Dre and I and a lot of us were playing drums, kind of just. And then we did have one girl, Carla, play drums on one song or two songs, but. All the confusion.
1: She definitely played on it.
2: Yeah. But we didn't really have, like, a drummer, like. And so Jess was like, man, you should think about getting Sheila. And I called her. and, And at the time, she was like, that sounds really interesting. I don't know why. I think. I remember we had an interest from Koppelman about signing us. Yeah. But then then he left EMI, like right in the middle of us trying to like work something out with him.
3: Yeah, I Uh, I had a relationship with him because we had been doing a bunch of stuff
0: at that point. So, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So tell me, you do, you finish this record. I'm sorry, Andre, go ahead. I was just going to say, remember, we went to the Capitol
3: building, because I think he bought the Capitol building or something. I do remember.
2: It's
3: like empty. It's like the why did we go there? We <laughs> was there for a meeting, just uh, just to you know pitch him the stuff and play the stuff, and you know, and he loved it. But Gardner's right. I think he left, uh,
2: um, and then wound up doing some other independent stuff. You know, well, what you probably don't remember is he gave us thirty grand to have the right of first refusal. That's why we did the Tom Jones record. He oh, said, oh. "Don't give us the money back. Don't make the Tom Jones record with the thirty grand." Do you remember that?
1: Not, not no. really,
2: yeah, <laughs> something for your head. That song, Something for Your Head.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. I remember the song, yeah. Wow. It's
2: on a Tom Jones record. That was really a Mike Soulmate's record. That uh, song. Uh, uh-huh. I that,
3: but you know, I I um I had met with Tom Jones because I was I was supposed to produce a record for him. And so yeah. we had a relationship and blah, 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 blah. But um, but somebody in the record company was like, you know, you know, they wanted Tom Jones to go in some other different different direction, but um, but yeah. And then when they heard uh, something for your head, they were like, they were they. I remember them asking us, "Are you guys willing to part with this song?" <laughs> I remember that. I don't remember uh, the cash.
2: They That's had my, given us, hey, had given us some money, <laughs> and then he was the like, cash. gave us like thirty grand or something <laughs> to like track something. And then he was like, you know, I'm sorry, guys, I'm leaving EMI, but if you want to just give them that master and throw Tom's voice on it, we'll just call it even. And then we kind of all just walked away. That's one of the reasons the thing sap. because yeah, it, we gonna thought ask, we were going to
0: go with EMI. So before we get to the record just sitting there for 35 years or whatever, I kind of want to know what you would describe this record as it sits as a collection, by the way, here it is. Um The Mighty Soulmates, which is beautiful, by the way. I love the artwork on that. Um uh, Mick, why don't you tell me what you think this record is? What what style, what genre,
1: what feeling is this? I, I feel like it's it's got the roots of like a Memphis soul, but our our roots, I think, as as writers are, are in that Motown Memphis soul, but also we have that 90s funk, of course. Um I think that's kind of the direction of the group. The thing that impressed me the most when we first started, because I too, I come from, I mean, you know, bands were tight and you didn't play in anybody else's band except your band. You'd be a traitor if you played in a different band other than your band. But I just remember when we started recording, how tight the vocal harmonies were. And it was just so natural. I mean, you listen to the record, I think I'm most impressed. I mean, I know all you cats are great musicians. You play, You play amazing, but getting voices to blend naturally usually is a difficult task and we just had it from the beginning every song the background vocals the harmonies they're just tight they just they just work and there's a natural harmonization that happens powerful Funk that I love about the record yeah great
0: um, why don't you tell us what you think uh, Andre what do you think this collection of songs is what do we have on our hands man
3: well you know I think whenever you get <laughs> you know um basically four you know extremely creative individuals together that could all you know obviously all solo artists in our own right all you know multi-instrumentalists in our own, own right but I think you know um you know Mick is touching on something that's interesting because you know we all played in bands you know and and that's sort of a oddly enough it's weird to say but it's almost like a bygone reality right now when it comes to well, maybe not, it's starting to come back, but for a long period of time, bands were kind of like, no, 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 not bands. You know, but we played from, you know, and I think a lot of us were influenced by, you know, some some of the, you know, most amazing bands that ever was, you know, whether it be the Beatles, whether it be, you know, Sly and Family Stone, whether it be Jimi Hendrix, it's all over the map of, of, of who we probably all listened to because we grew up more or less in the same, um, you know, uh, era. And, and And I think, you know, when you, when you put people like that together to create, and there's no, there's no boundaries. It's like, let's just write songs, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think what you come up with is, you know, an amalgamation of um, you know, several different styles, but what it did was it kind of created its own style. And it's, it's something that we talk that I talked about when, you know, we were talking uh, online. And I said, it's like, you know, I think, um, God, I forget exactly what I said, but it's like, you get all these people together, and they're they're free to just sort of create, you know, um, whatever they like. And it's just it's it's like a it's it's really kind of hard to categorize because it's funky, it's rocky, it's like um, like Mick said, it's got this Memphis kind of thing, it's got a little Minneapolis kind of thing. It's mm. got it's got a little bit. It's got a um, ethereal stuff. It's got you know because. Gardner's, you know, you know, when you really, you know, Gardner will pull out stuff and instruments from, you know, from (laughs) sitars
1: and stuff. (laughs) You know, what's, what's really, really, I really love about this project is that, you know, we're, we're all solo artists and we all have our own histories and usually that can be a recipe for disaster. Like when you try to come together to agree on what the parts are, what the songs are. I don't remember having any of that. I just remember kind of waking, waking up in the morning and we'd start a song and we finish the song. We'd wrap it, mix it, move on to the next. It wasn't like we recorded all these little bits, bits and pieces and we had to come back and try to figure out how they all fit. It was like we wrote a song, we recorded it, we mixed it, boom, next. I think we have what, 25 songs from that little, tiny period of time, which, yeah. you know, making a solo record, you second-guess yourself so much. Like, is that song good enough I can read? We didn't do any of that. It was just like, what was on tape was what we recorded at that moment and what we mixed at that moment. I think, really, I, I, I love the way this project came together. I, I
3: think the cool thing is when you have, you know, because we're all basically record producers and writers so when you know i think to, to what you were saying is like when you you don't have to second guess because you got people right there to say no no that was good you need that you know you need somebody to really be right there and so when they're right there on the spot you know you don't have to second guess yourself because you got backup
0: mm-hmm. i gotta tell you just coming in especially in the mind frame that i was in i was intimidated Coming in, and going, God, do I do I do I belong
1: here? And you
0: guys you just went. You played
1: asshole. You played you, asshole. You, you did this though. <laughs> you, I mean, you
0: you brought me in and you brought out stuff in me that probably been hiding because I was so worked up trying to be what my managers and my record company wanted me to be. I didn't know who I was anymore. And you guys just went. We don't care about that anymore. Here is where you are supposed to be. And I am telling you, uh, this record is, in my opinion is some of the most organic, cool things I hear everybody's influence in there. And I remember, and I have a specific memories of, you know, people overdubbing things, but especially in a group, thing like Tide Your Rocket. I remember Dre singing the bridge to that thing. I'm like, what are you saying there? He said, it doesn't matter. It feels good. I'm like, you're right. You're right. I said, I was trying to take down the lyrics. or so we were to turn them in. I'm like... It doesn't matter, but you guys totally took the pressure off, which was great for me, and that's why I remained there. And it absolutely comes through on that piece of vinyl that we have there. So nothing but great memories of that for me. It was like you said earlier on, you guys. It was a healing camp for all of us, Gardner. That was because of you, man. What What is it about your aura or your presence, man, that just kind of it, not only are you musical, but you, you have this sense about you and your personality that, that really is a caretaker and, and, and a healer. What is the, where does that come from? We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earthwind and Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast. There are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website, and there are many different levels on how you can become involved. We could not put on this podcast without our patrons. All right, let's get back to the interview. Ooh. But you, you have this sense about you and your personality that that really is a caretaker and, and, and a healer. What is that? Where does that come from?
2: Well, I was the oldest in my family. So I took care of all my brothers and sisters, right? So I'm used to being the guy that gets shit done and, you know, gets all the kids to sit at the table and eat (laughs) and get along. Right. Mm -hmm. So as a record producer, that helped me because, you know, when you get in the studio with four or five egos in a band, you know, you got to figure out how to placate them and get them to get along. So honestly, I think it was my childhood prepared me because you got to be a part psychologist too to be a record producer, as you know.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: You got to talk artists off the cliff. Oh, I suck. I can't do this. No, you're fucking great, man. Get back in here.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, You really do have that thing about you. I mean, I remember um, part of it. Um, I've been in bands, but we never had this situation where we were all in one house. And I think that has a lot to do with it. We were all in one house. We would eat breakfast. We would have coffee. Oh, we would yeah. go in the studio and start working immediately. We would take lunch and go eat vegetarian food that little vegetarian spot with the Elvis albino remember that guy oh yeah (laughs) the Elvis albino would eat there too (laughs) (laughs) and we would have lunch and we would then come back and work more and it was just we really took time to talk to each other and it was really a healing experience that's the only way I can describe it you know and somehow at the end of it all this music came out and it's all finished and I, were, I was really shocked because I worked on one song sometimes for six months, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like one song. You know, like, did you, you do that mix and then you do another mix? And this was all, like, like everybody said, so organic and and it all it, it kind of finished itself. Yes, okay, so,
0: go ahead, Andre. I
3: was just gonna say one song. is funny because I, I was listening to it the other day, um, and and I think it's Rick, Rick Shop. And it's just like, I mean, it's got changes in it that just, you know, they just go places that you just don't expect it to go. You know, it's like, I mean, it's funky and it's just sick, but it just goes places. Like, I mean, we, it just sounds like we were having a lot of fun, mm. <laughs> so yeah. a fun, fun record.
0: So why did it sit on the shelf for, well, let's do the math here. Is it 28 <laughs> years, 29 years? tell really us why that thing sat on the i'm actually we should all really say why it sat on the shelf I, my personal take is i don't know why uh, i think we all just kind of went whew, and and no one took the ball or picked the ball back up i don't know exactly what happened but gc give me give me your uh your thoughts on that
2: uh well part of it look is you know we were we were all producers and writers and Projects came up for me. I went started producing records on other people, writing songs for other people, just like Dre. All of us. Well, we all had our own projects that were separate from this. And I think Mm. we all just kind of got busy after that summer. And I kept thinking, yeah, we need to get back to this. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. And before you know it, ten years go by, and then fifteen years, and it's you know, and and I found these old DAT tapes. That's how old school this shit is. We had mastered this shit down to DAT, right? Yeah. And I found this DAT player and I'm like, I wonder if this shit still works. And I put in, a I started playing back a couple of songs and I was like, this is badass stuff. Like, I forgot how good it was. I think we mm-hmm. all forgot how good
1: it was. Yeah. I think you're right. You know,
2: I, I, it's something with the best stuff I've ever done in my life. I'll tell you that.
1: Wow. I, I, I got to tell you, when I listen back to it, you know how you, you make an album and you kind of struggle song by song? You may have, you know, you may have the, beginnings of a couple songs as you know this is the direction. When I listen to this, I think it's almost kind of the most complete version of what I do with a band. And when I listen to it, I can imagine us playing a four 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 sets and doing these songs. They feel like what you would do as a band at a gig, you know, like we used to do back in the day when we play clubs and we do four four sets a night with different people singing, different Mm -hmm taking a lead one person's in the background one person singing a lead on this song and i to me that's my roots that's where i come from i i just i absolutely love the record and love what we did together well, that would be a blast playing it live can you imagine that, uh, yeah.
0: that would be I would i would do that in a heartbeat
1: man yeah count me in Set up in a club, man. Let's do four sets. <laughs> well, do you see my basement
0: behind me? Most of I don't know if I, any I mean, none of you probably have rehearsed here, but this is the this is where we've been rehearsing since 1958. This is mom and dad's old basement. So I got the place ready to go. That's crazy. Just don't man. come now because it's going to be like minus 40 here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> bet y'all don't miss that, do you, Andre? I run
1: from
3: minus 40. I run from 20. To, I run from 30 degrees. <laughs>
1: Can't take cold anymore. I don't know what happened. I know what happened. I remember you told us Andre about how you leave the car running at <laughs> and, night when you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I never shut my car off. And, and I run out to clubs. I park it right in front. And tell whoever the the I say, listen, keep my car right here. Let it run. You know, don't just don't touch it. And then I go in and party, get my groove on, go back out by the leather coat. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> I live in. So, that's it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I went back recently and froze my, anyway, it's, 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 it's cold. I love it. Don't get me wrong.
0: Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it is Minnesota in January. That's for sure.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, So who picked up the ball and started to roll with this again? Cause what we started doing, I mean, I can tell you where, <laughs> I can tell you that you guys had started the email conversation back and forth. Hey, we have an opportunity to do this. Was it you, Mick, who, who picked
1: the ball back well, up? It goes back a little further. Actually, Gardner and I, at one point, we had Dats, and like he said, he must have played a dad and called me. but we all, we all connect from time to time and mm. link up what you're doing, what's happening. You know, we always have that connection. Um, so he, he, he listened to it, and I said, hey, do you have all the Masters? And he said, I remember you sent me all the waves, of all the material, so that I would have a copy. And then I listened to it, you know, I got kind of busy doing other things. But recently, like within the last six months or year, I put all the desks together. I, you know, bounced them into my computer, and I kind of listened to everything. And I was just, I was blown away. I really was. I was like, wow, do you know how much time it would take in our minds now, the perfectionists that we are, mm. to put together 25, to put together eight mm. songs, yeah. how much time it would take. And I'm listening to this project and I'm like, this is amazing, this, this, is, this is crazy. So I started bugging all you guys. <laughs> I started bugging all you guys. Um, I had a relationship with the record company in the UK called Be With Records, and, and I had done another project for them. And I said to Rob, I said, hey, I'm gonna check something out and tell me what you think. And he listened to the project and he said, man, this is phenomenal. At which point I started contacting you guys and saying, come on, let's, let's make something happen. And without there was one, there was, there were no no's. Everybody was like, yeah, man, let's get this happening. So here we are.
0: If without your cajoling and your taking the ball and, and, and actually completing and getting it done and doing everything you had to do. That's a lot of work, man. So uh, I'm, Sure, certain, certainly speaking on behalf of the rest of the fellas, but thank you for doing that because we wouldn't be sitting here with, with this going on today. Hey, it would it be was, still sitting on a shelf when we'd be 80 years old going,
2: oh, you remember that record that we did?
0: Hey, we should have put that record
1: out. Yeah, It was a labor of love. It really was uh, I definitely know we have something amazing here, and I just hope a lot of people get to hear it, and I hope we get to maybe perform some of these songs, and because it's such a groove, it really is. It really is a groove. Gardner, favorite song on the record?
2: Wow, that's tough. Um, I know. God, I a
0: question to ask, um, you know?
2: Wow, I have to think about that. You know, I just because I'm from Detroit. And I got Motown roots. Blue Tuesday always kicked my ass, especially after you put in that sick string part. Yeah, remember that? I sure Um, do. uh, There's just a vibe about Blue Tuesday that represents where I come from. You know, that whole Detroit Motown kind of thing. Um, But it's hard. I mean, dude, I love them all. It's hard to say, but that one, I just remember when when we put that together. I was like, yeah, I could play this around Detroit, and people would be like, "Damn, that's good."
0: What about you, Andre? You have a favorite at all?
3: You know, I, I'd have to say, I, la- I got a bunch of favorites. I think my favorite might be uh, Tied to Your Rocket. Ooh, oh,
0: yeah. That's why, why one. that That's one, cool. man? I love that too.
3: Well, you know, Tied to Your Rocket is so, you know, what I got into music for was because, you know, I used to love to, you know, my father was a musician, so I used to, you know, I had all kinds, and I was the opposite of Garner, I was the youngest. So I had, like, access to, like, a, an incredible amount of music, you know. Um, and so I really, you know, listened to everything, like, from jazz to, you know, pop to, you know, Righteous Brothers to Beatles to you name it to, you know, um, Association, you know, whatever. I listened, listened to a lot of different stuff. And, you know, and so Tied to Your Rocket is one of those kind of things that really kind of reminds me of my childhood and really what I loved about music in the beginning, and uh and so i think that but i also like back in the day back in the day is also my they're really neck and neck because i mean it's almost like complete you know opposites because you got tied to your rocket that's this sort of ethereal kind of you know psychedelic trippy kind of thing um back in the day this kind of got his foot in hip-hop and it's got this whole other kind of you know um kind of neo soul way before neo soul even knew what you know had an (laughs) It's, 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 it's interesting, you know, and so I just think we, you know, we were all plugged into what was going on, and I think, you know, when you're really doing it at the level that we're, we were doing, we always, we're always anticipating what the next thing is going to be. Right. So this record was a part of a whole lot of things that were, like, upcoming that weren't even out yet. That, that, I think, has a lot to do with why it's as unique as it is.
1: What about you, Mick?
0: Do you have a favorite?
1: Well, okay, I, I want to I preface by saying, I think what's amazing in the sound of the record and the vocals is that nobody sounds like they have anything to prove. You know, you're going to make a record and you're trying to just, you're trying to kill the mic. You're trying to kill the bass. And this record just sounds like everybody's voice is so relaxed and you can really hear everybody's individual personality. And it's almost like it's almost like we're, we're gardening together and we all have our, our place and nobody's trying to fight to get noticed and everybody's just so so even. Um, saying that, I think one of my favorite songs is Gonna Love You Right because everybody's vocal gets a chance to shine and you can hear. I mean, you know, whenever you're trying to record a vocal, my experience as a producer, you're trying to get the essence of the person. And I really, when I listen to this record, I hear the essence of each one of you. You know, and I listen to Andre on Hollywood. You know, that's that's Andre through and through. The humor, the <laughs> lyricism, the attitude. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just hear everybody's personality. And um, Tied to Your Rocket, Gardner, uh, really comes through his ethereal, you know, the lyrics and the presence that he had. And then Paul, you're just, to me, I'm so jealous when I hear you sing sometimes. I'm like, this guy is, he's killing it. Like, it's, it's just, I can't say enough about how all of our personalities are able to shine without competing, you know? And, and that's, that's a hard one, when, especially to have multi-vocalists and multi-instrumentalists. I'm um, really impressed with you guys, man. Hope I, hope I can stay in the band. <laughs>
0: Let me expound on, expand on that because I think you're right. Like I told you earlier, coming into this band, I was super vulnerable, just got my butt kicked by the industry, and you guys kind of proved to me that I had nothing to prove. It was just show up, do what you're supposed to do, and you everybody will have your back. I think we complimented each other that way for each other, maybe without even verbally saying it, we just did it. We picked up the slack when the slack needed to be picked up. If someone couldn't be there, someone would mix. If someone was gone when bass part needed to be on there, Andre would play. If there was programming to do, you know, Mick would do it. If there was a production or a vocal to do, Garden would be there. It was really a band effort. This is not a BS yep. band at all. This was truly a work of four individuals coming together with like you said, nothing to prove and everything to gain. But we did it, I think, without ever having to verbally say that. And and, and it just shows up so beautifully on this record. Don't you think? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: All right. So we, ahead, we no, might I, have I, to I, go ahead. I have a question uh, I don't remember I don't remember all of the mixing. It's like we record and you stayed up at night and, and mix and then we I don't remember All of that, because um, there were a lot of days when I know we just went in, we had a song idea, we finished it beginning to end, and then the next morning it would be like, hey, we have a song. Let's move on to the next one. Sounds good to me.
0: I remember Mm -hmm. sitting there with a lot of uh, uh, Cheves on the rocks, man, back when I was drinking, and I would do a lot of late night (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, I was
0: full deep in it. Trust me, I'm sure you all remember mm-hmm. I would get get to my place and I would sit I remember doing many mixes late into the night doing mm-hmm. that and that's again that's that's the whole thing is that everybody would pick up the slack where somebody else you know where can we where can we help and it was just a cool organic way of doing it without making a big deal of it yeah. I think
3: I would be curious too because I don't remember i mean. For especially at that period, that period of time, I mean, because I know we did a, some stuff at uh at my studio on uh, Main Street, mm-hmm. uh, and uh but I don't remember mixing, and obviously we had to mix it, so we must all just <laughs> got in there because you guys were there quite a bit. So we
1: yeah, we were.
3: What was
2: at the brewery? Yeah, yep, brewery building.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's
2: right. Just, uh, I remember man. mixing while we were doing shit. I remember we'd be like. We just get so into a track and we lay a bunch of stuff down and we just sit there and mix and we get it close. I remember sleeping on shit coming in the next morning because I got up earlier than all the rest of y'all. Right,
1: that's because <laughs> I go boy. in the morning.
2: <laughs> I tweak a little bit of shit in the morning and I'd be like, you guys would come in and I'd play it. But we did a bulk of that stuff in the moment, man. We
0: just just keep going. Like right. we didn't labor over any of it. It was fun. I learned more about a 24-track recorder and everything like that in your garage, my brother, than oh, yeah. I could have ever learned anywhere else because everybody else was like, you can't touch that. That's my thing. You're the artist. But this was like homegrown studio. Yeah, you better go take the reel off and put the next one. I'm like, what? How you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but by the end of that summer, I was like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. That's just what it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you, wh- know, I, is- you know, I thought of one of the reasons why the project ended. We had that huge earthquake. Remember, and the house got oh. wrecked. The chimney fell house. off, and we yeah. were sleeping on your trampoline. Remember?
3: I that? remember. I yeah, remember. Yeah. And the garden was out of there that next week and moved to
2: Arizona. <laughs> uh, I got out there pretty quick. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. I'm like, okay, well, that's dude. it. Well, you, well I got to back up a little bit. So first, we have torrential rains come. And they fill my pool with dirt and mud that comes flying down the hill, right? And then a fire comes and right. gets within 100 yards of my house. And then the earthquake hits. And I'm like, all right, Mother Nature's telling me to get
0: the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> locusts were next, by the way, locusts. <laughs> yeah. That was it. That, it was, that was it for the next 28 years. Tell me what happened. Give me your, you know a synopsis of what you did for the next twenty eight years, Gardner, and what are you still doing? You know, I've never stopped doing music, but I came out to Arizona and
2: uh, became a businessman and a real estate guy, and um, and now music is even more fun because I don't need to do it for money. Amen I into that, brother. It's all Send my, some arms our heart. way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. I could get into boring details, but I kind of just got into properties, bought at the right time. You know, Mick mixed, mixed on a very similar thing to, to what I did. He got into real estate too, and uh, but yeah, I don't want to get into boring details. But I live on a farm with a bunch of animals. I enjoy nature. I got you know I got sixteen livestock in the middle of Scottsdale. I've got la- the last farm in the city, basically.
0: And you're you're a family man too. I am. Yeah. I got a a fifteen year old, a ten year old. Got a boy. Yeah. That's I came to the thing, party yeah. late, but, you know, I'm enjoying it. That's great. <laughs> what about you, Andre? Tell us what you've been doing and continue to do.
3: Oh, God. Uh, obviously, still making still making music. Of course. You know, I'm going to stop doing that. Um, you know, I, I, I went to school for a while for uh, uh, filmmaking. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, studied film directing and producing and all that kind of stuff. Because I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. And so... Um, forward to doing that I've, I've written i don't know maybe something like 17 screenplays something like that a buttload of screenplays about a number of different things and you know um yeah basically that's it i'm also you know family you know kids loving it you know oh, that's
0: um, great it's, uh, it's
3: you know it's a it's a beautiful thing it's like and again you know i mean it's beautiful because you you do the things that you love because i don't need to do it to, you know, to to make money. It's not like I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, hustle this and hustle that, you know. Um, but, you know, I've always been like that anyway. I mean, which has always been maybe a little bit of an Achilles heel for me. It's like, <laughs> oh. I like to do things, you know. I um, hear you. Money. I like to do things because I want to do it. I love it. And, you know, like this project it was something like, you know, when when uh, Gardner gave me, you know, you know, the heads up, I was like, oh shit, are you kidding me? That'll be a blast. And it was, and it is, you know, and it's still, it'll, it'll always be a blast. And if we come together again and do something again, I think that'll even be a bigger blast.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that would be fun.
3: Yeah, it'd be fun. You know, and it'd be just as funky, just as fun. And maybe even more so, because the one thing that people always seem to forget is, you know, we don't have a sell-by date. We are like, you know, we could, you know, I think you get better. You know, you get more wisdom. You get more, You actually know more about what you're playing. You know, it's like it's just a, a free flow of of create creativity. I think that you get. You know, when you start to really understand, you when you're doing it for a really good you know cause, which is basically for the pleasure of creating something.
0: Mick, what about you, man? Fill us in.
1: Well, I've been. I've always continued to make music, and like Gardner, I did get into real estate. But music was always my first love. And, you know, what I found was that making the music never got hard, got hard getting it out, getting it released and getting it out to the masses. Um, I think part of the downside of the generation we come from with music is that being cool is not self-publicizing. It's not, Blasting yourself on Instagram. It's not big up in yourself every five minutes. You always had other people to big up for you. And I think that part of it has really changed a lot in modern music. So trying to break out of that shell of, you know, being cool and not over publicizing yourself is kind of one of the drawbacks of being a generational musician. Um, I've made a lot of records. Uh, we've, uh, continue to write songs and, and make things. But like I said, the real difficult part is finding a forum to get it released and get it out to the masses. So hopefully this project, although it's we made it in 1994, it's still vibrant and very, it's a very now thing. And I'm hoping that we can make some progress with it and um, get it out to the masses that way.
0: Yeah. Isn't it funny that we made this record in the old music business model, and we're releasing it in the new business music <laughs> business model? How does that work? Anybody, I, think, I, I, think Mick just, I don't know. I guess I think, we'll find out, won't we? I think Mick yep. just
3: touched on it. Is that you? you just you have to. Uh, it's a different paradigm. You know, it's not like um, you know it because he's right. We come from the school, really not. You know, trying to big up yourself and and you know sort of constantly promote yourself and be out there, you know, but that's what it is now. So you got to just try to, um, you know, keep talking about it. You know, keep doing what you're doing right here, and because yeah. uh, people, you know, people, we've gotten you know the attention span for for um, uh, music and you know music consumers, it's just gotten so short. I know.
1: Yeah. Hey, Paul, I wanted to really congratulate you because I see you've found your niche and you've uh you know you really do very well with all your platforms with pushing it and getting things out there and constantly gigging and you know uh, your springboard of having that beautiful family of yours and you know i just i i really applaud you you always bring a smile on my face man because you're so genuinely musical and so genuine with the way you put out your music and keep putting out things thank you
0: brother you know. That's it right there. I've, I've, I've won the lot of it. By you saying that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> that is why we make music, for that right there, because that this series that I've been doing called Funk Friday, I'm on my 96th one at the time of this, taping of this, is simply just to put, number one, connect people. Number two, um, to put music together with people who are unlikely partners, not unlike what this band was. And number three, there's no money to be gained or lost. It's just about the hang. It's about the musicality. And it's about bringing some light to what can be a, a dark world. And that's all that is, man. And that makes me happy. And that makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm put on this planet to do. So thank you for saying that, man. I appreciate
1: that. Yeah, man. You are. You're doing it, brother. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts on
0: the mighty soulmates. Gardner Cole, What give, give us uh, your final thoughts.
2: I think um, I'm super excited about the idea of us doing this again. I think the whole reason that this is happening, the universe is saying, y'all need to do this again. So I'll tell you right now, I'm down to do what we did last time. I got a big-ass house, a nice studio. <laughs> I'm down to put everybody up. And do do it one more time. Even if we do a little EP and do four or five songs,
3: Ooh. oh, we can do twenty-four. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts, Andre. I you know, I I have to concur. It's like uh, I think it would be a blast. I think we should do we should we should get together and we should do another collection of songs. You know, just and just have fun. You know, I mean, you know. I think it'd be a blast. So, and then maybe even do a live show, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people that love to see us, you know, on a stage somewhere, but obviously we want to let this pandemic thing sort of, you know, you know, go through a sort of uh,
1: thing, but I would, I would love to
0: do that. That'd be be a blast. Final thoughts,
1: Mick. Um, Well, I got to say, I love all you guys, man. No, for real. Like, for real, for real. We have too. a connection. We have a, a, a real soulmate connection. You know, individually as a group, me and Andre, me and Gardner, me and St. Paul, whenever we hang, we there's just this sense of brotherhood and fun. Mm-hmm. And it's like fun. I remember, because um, I would stay in L.A. sometimes, and Andre, we would ride from L.A. to Gardner's house sometimes and I would just think man I'm I'm riding with my dude I'm I'm riding shotgun with my dude okay <laughs> and it was just always such a blast man so many laughs um, playing basketball in the yard uh, St. Paul with the 18 ounce cup of coffee in the morning or two <laughs> the gallon that has of not changed
0: I'll let you know that
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, it was just such a such a magnificent time. And it was just kind of, it reminded me of my teenage band years um, with seasoned guys and just the personnel that you have when you're driving to a gig all in the same van with the gear in the back. It's that same feeling of setting up the gear, doing the gig, breaking it down, going to White Castles or whatever that, that after the gig uh, burger place is. I just It was just a wonderful feeling, man, a wonderful connection um that we have, and we still have it. It's still there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm so happy and proud that we were able to share this experience together, and I look forward to what we can do in the future.
0: I got to say that I concur with you, Mick. I love all you cats. This is so great to see you. I mean, we're all not in the same room, but we are in the same virtual room, so First of all, thanks for taking the time to, to uh, get together and, and just hang out for an hour. Uh, it means a lot to me just on a soul level. Um, to actually have the, uh, you know, the, the, the hood spot to put this thing out, man. You know, this is, this is a long time a-coming. And I'm really proud of this record. All of you guys are just brilliant on this thing. Uh, I I agree. I hope that people pick this thing up, the Mighty Soulmates. Listen to what we did in 1993 at our Gardner Cole summer camp, uh, because you'll see a lot of insight into who we are as solo artists, who we are as family men, who we are as musicians, who we are as producers, singers. You'll hear our backgrounds. You'll hear all that stuff coming together so beautifully and organically, and it's just been a great ride. And it's so good to be reconnected with y'all. And I'm with you, Gardner. You better, you better uh, get the maid <laughs> ready because there's a few room, few of us coming by. That's all yeah, right. Move the zebras
1: over. Move the zebras over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why well, I love for- you all like brothers, man. And
2: you're welcome anytime. Just let me know, and we'll do it. All right.
0: Well, that'll do it for episode 53 of Music on the Run, the first episode of season three. Big thank you to the mighty soulmates for coming and hanging with me for the last hour. Good luck on the record, fellas. We'll see you in a month. Peace out. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, David A. Razo. Social media by Mary Beth Stevens. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember... It's never too late.